We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So we're on this series, The Christ Conscious Believer, and um, <laughs> today's part 29. It's not a long series, though. It's a course. If you, if you gain mastery of it, there is a, a class, you know, in, you're doing a, a course, you're a particular subject, you see. You have gained mastery. In the school of the spirit, now you have now become mature in that area. So please help yourselves. Is that okay? We're on the 14th hallmark of the Christ conscious believer, and that is that the Christ conscious believer spends and is spent for the kingdom. The Christ conscious believer gives, gives, and gives again. This will be our fourth or so Tuesday on this, this particular point. Do you understand? But so... I, that would mean that this point started around part 23, somewhere like that, 23, 24, 25, or 20, somewhere around there. To do a quick rundown of Christ conscious believer is one who is grateful for the cross, two, understands the twofold significance of the resurrection, three, acknowledges he had no part to play in the salvation plan, four, is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit at all times. Five, appropriate the rights, benefits, and responsibilities of sonship. Six, the Christ conscious believer walks in his royal priesthood status without apology. We, we talked about the priesthood of all believers. This is something we also dealt with in our DSTP, Discipleship, Stewardship Training Program. Seven, the Christ conscious believer values and submits to discipleship. Eight is bound by and yielded to God's word in the light of Christ only. And nine is evolving in his nature and character. That was a big one. Ten, the Christ conscious believer is fixated on eternal realities more than earthly pursuits. Eleven, the Christ conscious believer is driven by a zeal to preach the gospel, 12, a Christ-conscious believer understands and does not despise the local church. That was another big one. 13, the Christ-conscious believer is given to prayer. And that was a fireball. <laughs> that was a fireball. That was the day that the difficulty to pray died in this church. And number 14, which is where we are now, the Christ-conscious believer spends and is spent for the kingdom. We took time to explore that over time and we ended um, a few Tuesdays ago at John 3.16. And those of you that were not here, man, we took time, we took like three hours to just introduce John 3.16. One verse. I didn't finish it that Tuesday. This is how God loves all tools, the method, the working of his love. The manner of his love. The typology of his love. We run through that. I'd like to be able to try and wrap it up today. Yeah. That point 14. Hmm? Is that okay? Can I try? Are you encouraging me? I can try, right? 
Second <laughs> Corinthians 8 and 9. Let's go from there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. There's a school of thought in interpretation of scripture, in fact, in understanding the gospel, that champions a very disturbing thought, and that thought is that what you can do for yourself, Christ could not have died to give you. And these are the people that are preaching finished work, which is ironic, because if he did everything for you, why will everything exclude something that you can do for yourself? Because you see, there's people, sir, that are not born again, are not believers, who will never fall sick. So are you saying that as far as that person is concerned, Christ didn't die for their healing? Because they don't even need the healing of Christ. Because they can afford to be healthy without needing the healing that the work of Christ provides. So in coming into, and this goes back into this disturbing trend where by virtue of knowledge of what we know or think Christ has done for us, we actually reduce the worth and the scope of it because in our intellect we feel like we couldn't have possibly bothered about something like this. If you go back and listen to Is My Salvation Truly Forever, that teaching series, I start by breaking down the meaning of the word salvation. And I've explained even in He Swapped It, the great exchange when I did in 2016 to 17, and when I did it again last year, the great exchange, He Swapped It, I explained that salvation is a total, complete, absolute package. Nothing is left out. The word salvation includes deliverance. It means prosperity. It means growth. It means forgiveness of sins, it means righteousness, it means justification, it means redemption, it means purification, all in the one word, soteria. There's a problem when we start to twist scripture because there's a level of intellectual understanding about the Bible you have come into that you feel like this scripture is not consistent with your position on it. So we start to force the word of God to say what it didn't say or we start to avoid what the scripture explicitly said in order to impose another reality on it. I don't claim to have known all things, but I know enough to stay with the narrative of scripture. Are we together? Second Corinthians chapter 8, we're in verse 9. Start from verse 1 for context. The pretext will give you the context of verse 9. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Mark this. The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. It's not about to qualify that grace, hence the colon. Yeah? What is the grace of God upon the church in Macedonia? That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and in their deep poverty or their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. I explained that word to you two weeks ago, haplotis, liberality, right? Giving without thinking the cost, giving without restraint. 
Do you remember? And for some of you, even New King James is a bit wonky. So let's go to TPT, the Passion Translation. Start from verse 1. Beloved ones, we must tell you all about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. As deep as their poverty and hard times were, they were so joyful in the Lord that they gave like crazy. That's the grace of God upon the Macedonian church. This is not talking about saving grace. This is talking about grace as a virtue that brings enablement upon a particular assignment. Do you understand that? The word grace like the word faith, the word charis, like the word pistis, takes on meaning depending on the context in which it is being talked about. So faith in, in the scripture means different things at different times depending on what is being considered. Do you understand? In the same way, grace means different things at different times, same concept depending on what is being considered. So grace here is not saving grace but grace as virtue released to enable somebody do what would have been otherwise impossible. Does that make sense? So when you ask me, Pav, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm, grace. I'm not saying grace as per saving grace because I'm saved once. Do you understand? That grace was deployed once. It was broken. Poof. That's it. So, when I say grace, I'm referring to virtue. Do you understand? So, the word charis can also mean the muscle of God. When a man receives grace, he receives divine enablement. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the context of grace in this discourse. Are we together? Okay, so... In, in their superabundant joy of overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity, see verse 3. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave. Somebody says spontaneously. Spontaneously gave. No, no, no compulsion, no long thing. Just <laughs> spontaneously gave. Poor people. People in hard times. People in so bad hard times that at the point, Paul had to raise money to send to them. Because there was so much famine. But in the midst of their depravity, they gave spontaneously, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. So the grace of God enables you to give beyond your means. Charity enables you to give what you can give. Grace enables you to give beyond your means. Mr. Nice Guy has 10 grand. He will give two. Mr. Grace guy has 10 grand. He will say God is able to give 50. Here's this 10 to go with first. That's why when we understand grace as a New Testament church, you will never insult yourself by joining a conversation about tithe. Yes, sir. Ever. Yes, sir. Eh, you will never, ever, ever, 
Oh, Abraham gave a tenth. Abraham did not have Isaac when he gave a tenth. Even if that tenth, let's not even argue whether the tenth was money, not money. You know, those, those fundamentally basic, very basic, simple arguments that upset me. You know, the kind of baseless arguments Paul tells Timothy, don't get caught up in this nonsense. Grown people, children of God, I argue, the tithe he gave is not money, it is, is spoil, it's not spoil, it is, it is a spoil of war. He didn't even keep some of it, he kept some of it and we forget that all of that was a type and shadow because when Abraham was ready to give, he gave all. When tithe was happening, there was no Isaac. When we were giving percentage, there was no Jesus. By the time he came into the promise, by the time Abraham heard the gospel, Abraham gave everything. Your, your son. Who was in play when Abraham gave time? Eliezer of Damascus. Who was a slave who was now in line to become his heir because he didn't have a child. There was no Isaac in play around Melchizedek. By the time Isaac came in play and by 22, God said, oh yeah, give. Sarah woke up to find that her son was a sacrifice. Can we consider that when we talk giving and not get trapped in biblical narratives trying to form we have intellectual understanding? Because when Christ came into play, percentages died. Abraham just to Straight up, Isaac. You know, there was no even matter of okay, how about like, Ishmael? You know, how about okay, what, what if <laughs> took his all spontaneously? He didn't think about it. So when you come into the grace of God as regarding given, percentage ceases to be an issue. Won't won't discuss it. The church as well will enter a season of prosperity. That hitherto is impossible when we understand the grace of giving. So some of us are not interested in offering every service. What's that? Because if you're going to do offering every service, you have to manufacture different kinds of offerings that will come together to meet the quota for each service. We all of you now give offering. 100, 100 naira. Maybe two or three or four people here will be liberal enough to put a thousand naira in the basket. At the end of a meeting like this, if the offering was good, 6,000. Some of you have counted offering in church. Don't look at me like that. Yeah. You can't intimidate me. Ah, I know this thing. <laughs> if we hammer in this service like this, 6K, 7K, max, that's a good deal to run the entire thing. Batteries, keep the facility going. It's not offering, sir. So, if we're going to cover our bills by offering, we'll take general offering. Men's fellowship levy. Women's fellowship levy. We will also remind you that this is separate from your will free, free will offering through a force. Harvest. Tight. First fruit is very important. The first salary. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. 
It's only in church that our first fruit goes to finish. Because uncle, if it's first fruit, when you give the first fruit, you can eat the second to the last fruit. You got a new job, bring the first fruit. Then a new year, bring the first fruit. Ah, uncle. First fruit of a new year of the old job for which I paid first fruit when I got it. Because the new year did not change the first fruitness of my first salary of my job that is now an old job. Do you understand? But just because the year changed on the job, I now have to bring the first fruit of the same job that I gave you first fruit for when I got the job for this new year. Pastor's Appreciation Sunday. How many of you were blessed by this word that I come to today? Let us sow into it. So the word can be activated in your life. The word of God came. Could not activate until money is paid. The word of God, logos, needs mammon to activate, to ignite it. Says so, whenever I preach, I raise an offering. Then there were some things that we Paul didn't teach us. Paul forgot to teach us. <laughs> and if he forgot, I want to stay for God. Excuse me, Jesus didn't teach it. Paul didn't teach it. Peter didn't teach it. John didn't teach it. It's good enough for me. I raise an offering. You must part with something. You know what we're trying to do? Let me tell you the truth. We are trying to pay the rent of the church and pay the salary of the secretary and pay for diesel. Man of God comes. There's no man of God that those churches are bringing that they have not first seen the money they are going to give him. I'm telling, we don't bring man of God by faith. Fight good day. <laughs> Me, I know what I'm telling you. How much more the man of God now raises offering? He didn't split, he didn't arrange percentage of the splitting of the offering. So if we're bringing, there are certain people that we're bringing, we know what they are worth. You'd have calculated it. But during the program, you still now try to make back that money. But I say, let's sow into the life of the man of God. Raise money. We're trying to pay the bills. 24 hour miracle. You are still waiting. Some of you are still in 24 hour. 10 years. Your hour have not completed 24. God of a 24 hour miracle. We are just trying to raise money because you people, you will not give. And that is an indictment on the church as much as is an indictment on the pastors. You will not give. So we have to, anyhow, anyhow, we have to raise money. So I'm preaching like this. See, it's not like we don't know what to do. All those churches that when they are preaching, you'll be coming to the altar and be dropping money. The preaching you have a head there and what you are receiving here, where should you be giving money? 
So we just tell me, I, I prophesy in the name of Joshua. Money, pa, 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 pa. And you're like, okay, this particular place is where it's sweeting. You stay there, fire it. You see people just come in, pa, pa. After this, we'll still raise offering. Still collect prophetic seed. Because we are calculating how much. Hardly would the pastor come out and say to you, we have a bill to pay. This is what we need. Like I said to you, if Paul didn't teach it, I won't teach it. if Paul didn't do it, I won't do it. Because it's either that or you start to become an arm robber. Let's raise this, let's do that, let's do the other. Grace rested upon them. In the midst, you already learned how Jesus, how God gave. Grace rested upon them. They gave liberally, spontaneously. So where a church is struggling with giving, she's not walking in grace. And I don't want to take the money by force of people who have not given from grace. Let the work fold up. Because see me, I'm not measured by this building. Do you understand what I'm saying? So where a church struggles with giving, the church is grace deficient. Are we together so far in the scripture? I'm going somewhere. <laughs> it doesn't look like I'll finish today at this rate. <laughs> but I'm going somewhere. I'm taking my time. Because so like I said, whenever, whatever I teach is a complete course. I read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and I told you, I have a problem with certain things we're trying to make say what they did not say. Or trying to walk in denial about some things that were said in order to fit a particular narrative. And then I took you back to chapter 1. Now we're in verse 1. Now we're in verse 2. Right? Okay. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2. Let's keep going on TPT. Spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. So Mr. Nice Guy gives according to what they can afford. Mr. Grace Guy gives far beyond. See how these guys operated in this grace. Verse 4. They actually begged us, Paul said. For the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. People who are super poor, but in their overflowing liberality, gave beyond their means and even begged the apostles, please now collect what we have. We still want to help. They begged us. For the privilege of sharing. They, in their poverty, were saying, please take some more from us and give them. Somebody say grace. grace. You didn't say it. Say grace. grace. Say grace. grace. So you see, there's a lot of things that we're struggling with because we've not been taught right. We've not been taught right. We've not had the word become practical. So some, somebody tells you, oh, we need one million in church, you'll be like, ha, pastor, want to use our money. No, there's, there's a crop of people for whom money doesn't hold sway. Me, I'm telling you. <laughs> we are here. There's a crop of people for whom money is nonsense. Money is a servant. A baby servant. It's not like we have money anywhere. 
So we say, okay, you know what? We need, we need to pay our rent. We need to pay. We need three million. Somebody will go, ha, three million. And you know, you can actually approach the bank and get a loan for one million and give us, or two million, or there's land you are keeping to sell. You can, you, you not cross your mind because you think it's too good for you to give church. I know you're being robbed. You know, you too, it was your foolishness that caused you to be robbed. But when we started this part of this series, I said something that day. I said, don't let your present and future suffer on account of your past. Yeah. If you gave to a charlatan, don't let your teacher of truth now suffer because of what your former person did to you. You are not wise. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not wise. This, this is when you should give more. This is when you should go an extra mile and stretch and understand that I can stretch for the kingdom more. Not because it's convenient. Because if you're waiting for convenience, uh, it will not come. Think about it. This room has a few ends. Hmm? There's one there. There's one here. In fact, let's use the shortest end, that door, to where Bishop Christie is standing. She's not looking around. Who is the Bishop Christie? That's probably the shortest end in this room. You know, help say, how I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to make ends meet. If there are ends by design, they will never meet because there are ends. I'm trying to make ends meet. Trying to make ends meet. Trying to make ends meet. So for an average developing country believer or Christian or human being, you feel like, you know what, I, until I have this much, I cannot be said to be comfortable. Until I have this much stored up, I cannot be said to be comfortable. Until I've done this much for myself, I cannot possibly go out of my way to do this for somebody else. That is when we are void of the grace of God. Because if there's anything that you should stretch yourself to give towards, is the kingdom. If you're investing in anything above and beyond the kingdom, you're laying up for yourself on earth treasures that have no eternal relevance. Absolutely no. Contrary to what people have told you, there is a liberality of receiving that comes upon a giver. There's a clear-cut Christian scriptural principle for a person that scatters abroad and abounds. And one who withholds even what is due and tends to poverty. There is a, is a pattern, there's a principle for he that gives liberally, receiving liberally. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Are you following me? Let's go back to our text. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 2. Verse 4, we have verse 4. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing the ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. Verse 5. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord, excuse me, and then to us, the apostles, according to God's pleasure. See verse 6. That is why we appealed to Titus since he was the one who got you started 
and encouraged you to give. Somebody say, praise God for titles. So he could help you complete this generous undertaking on, our, on your behalf. Are you following the narrative? Seven. He's telling the Corinthian church, you do well and you excel in every respect. To understand this, you can read 1 Corinthians. There was no gift of the spirit that the Corinthian church did not have except giving. He says, you do well and excel in every respect. You do well in unstoppable faith. Yeah? Are you following? You do well in powerful preaching. You do well in revelation knowledge. You do well in your passionate devotion. You do well in sharing the love we have shown you. You do well. So, make sure that you also excel in grace-filled generosity. Tell your neighbor, make sure that you also excel in grace-filled generosity. And what is grace-filled generosity? Going over and beyond to give spontaneously. Are you following the narrative? Are we teaching the word? See, you excel in other respects. Preaching, loving, hugging, gingering, coming early, doing stuff. Great. See also that you excel in giving according to the grace of God. What are we talking so far? Giving of what? Substance, eh? Yourself to the Lord, yourself to your leaders, and then your substance. Did you see it? Yeah? They give yourselves first to the Lord and then to us and then you give your substance. Okay, verse 8. I'm not saying this as though I were issuing an order. So it's not legalism. But to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians. So some of you again, I feel like, why are you reminding me of this? Why are you telling me about something that's past? And I've told you over and over in scripture that God deploys the art of referencing in order to reset your head. So for instance, somebody will go, is Paul not pitching or fostering competition between the Corinthian church and the Macedonian church? And Paul preempted that mindset. And he said, no, I'm not trying to give a command that you must do what the Macedonians did. I'm just letting you know that the model they have set is one you should emulate. Imitate. And in my very little way, that's what I tried to do in this house. We just give. We don't think about it. My people don't trust me with my stuff. My people love me. But most of them that love me don't trust me. If I say, I will, I will use this phone for three months, they will look at me and say, oh, Papa, you are deceiving yourself. They don't used to believe me. We must get to the point where material things are, I ain't got nothing on you. Nothing on you. Let's finish this thing. So Paul was not trying to compete, yeah? He was just trying to jolt them, encourage them, let them know this is what these people are doing. This is what grace is working in them. Can you let it work in you in like manner? Do you understand? 
Are you sure you understand? And like I said, that's what we try to do. It's not like we have, but we never lack. Never lack. So some things I'm not bothered about. My own bills, church bills. No, we have poured out too much to not be wondering what that God will do. We're dead. A dead man doesn't fear dying. <laughs> no, I just laugh now. God is faithful. And the church is coming into grace. The church is coming to grace. The church is coming to a point where before we have need, the church rises up and responds. We will show, I, me, I will show Christ that church. Me, I will show Christ a local church that did not compromise with money. Or else we'll stop the church and face business. Church is not, it's not like church is giving us anything. But we will, if we, if we are going to be a church, we'll be a New Testament church. Oh, there's no point. I'm t- I'm, I say these things publicly so you can hold me to it. There's no, there's no point. There's, there's no point. There's no point. There can be a church for which the emphasis is no money. But for whom money is no object. Because then there's a need. We rise up and we meet it. Done. We rise up. Not you thinking that the church will meet your need. But to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as a challenge to you. So far, what are we talking about? Giving materially. Giving of your substance, money. Are we? Do we agree? Yes. Now, go to verse nine. For you have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay there. This grace is not saving grace. Salvation is not the topic of discussion. So grace cannot immediately take on a new meaning in verse 9 from the same text from verse 1 to verse 8. Are we together? Extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 1. We must tell you about the grace of God poured out on the churches of Macedonia that they gave. Verse 9. For you have experienced that grace of giving, being talked about in Jesus. Jesus exercised that grace that although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake so that by his poverty we could become rich Beyond measure, it's what it. it would be mischievous to exclude material abundance from this scripture when from verse 1 to verse 8, what was being talked about was material giving. 
Are there the riches of God in Christ Jesus? Absolutely. Are they all-encompassing? Absolutely. If they are all-encompassing, why is a particular department maliciously being left out? Why do we have a problem understanding God's ability to prosper in man? But are cool with business school's ability to prosper in man? So basically what you're saying is that business school can do something that the grace of God cannot do. You will not hear me join that camp. Because I understand the scope of his salvation plan. Gave to Paul the same guys, Philippians 4. Paul says, I have now received and I abound. And my God will supply your needs. Please, those needs, were they spiritual or physical? No, before you answer, the needs they supplied to Paul, was it spiritual or physical? So you must be careful about being so scholarly that we remove the reality and the simplicity of God's word in Christ. It was his material, he had just been ministered to in material. I said, my God, the way that God has used men to supply mine, when you have need, God will supply your needs in Christ Jesus. The needs that Paul's, Paul's needs have been supplied. How were they supplied? In Christ Jesus, using men. Were they supplied carnally? No, using men of the church. God shall supply your needs. When you have need, the way God raised men in Christ to meet mine, he shall raise men in Christ to meet yours. It would be malicious to believe that God allowed men to meet Paul's need but doesn't need men to meet the needs of the church. No, God is not talking about physical needs now. He's talking about just your spiritual needs for whom, you know, it's nothing to do with men. Why didn't he minister physical needs to Paul directly without needing the church? So in verse 9, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. See verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there must also be a completion out of which you have. Go back to verse 10 in the TPT. 10 and 11, look it again. So here are my thoughts concerning this matter. And it's in your best interests. Since you made such a good start last year, both in the grace of giving, that's what is being talked about, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's not spiritual giving that met the needs of the people that were hungry. And in your longing to give, you should finish what you started. You were so eager in your intentions to give. You were so eager in your intentions to give. So, go do it. Put your hand on your chest and tell yourself, go do it. Yeah, you were eager to, to give. Go, go do it. Finish this act of worship. Because, Otus, for God so loved that he gave. This is how God loved. Finish this act of devotion. 
of worship according to your ability to give. Verse 12. For if the intention and desire are there, the size of the gift doesn't matter. You know, me, I don't know how to give 1,000. And somebody will go, hey, what does my 1,000 naira do? If you have intention, the size doesn't matter. If you have five G's, you can't give one. When you have five million, one hundred thousand will sound like a big deal for you to give. That's because you're given according to human ability, not according to grace. Five thousand, you can't give five. Why can't give one thousand? Ha! So by the time it's five million, you look at five million, one million. Wait in church, one guy, one million do. It's not just the intention. Go do it. We didn't start by thinking that we can give God one billion. We started by giving him five loaves of bread and two fish. That's where it starts. It's not just the intention. Go do it. Do you understand? Go do it. Make a habit of it. Become a conduit for kingdom resources. Prove to God that you know what... You can trust me to entrust me with resources. You can count on me that I will channel your resources in the direction you want them to go. I am dead to mammon. I'm dead to material things. There's no amount of money I can't give. No. A lot of believers have to repent concerning how they treat giving with God. A lot. A lot of believers have to repent. Have to be honest with yourself, square with yourself. I have not treated giving in the manner that God has shown us to give. I have not responded in this grace the way that Jesus showed us in this grace. I haven't. Because when you come upon the grace, you start with what you have and then you go beyond what you have. And then he starts to supply seed to the sower according to how he's also able to supply bread to the eater. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God, coming from 8, 9, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Though he was rich, where sex became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So see, see that you excel in this giving also. And as you do that, God is able to make all grace. This grace. Do you understand the grace we've been talking about? <laughs> So now all grace includes this grace of giving to abound towards you so that you having always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. You start to give. You master the art of giving. Abundance begins to come to you because you are a giver. It's givers that abound to give. I've taught you in this house I've said over and over, there's nobody at any point that doesn't have something to give. Nobody. Everybody always has something to give. If you say you don't have money, you will never have money to give. You will never have money to give if you see yourself as not ever having money. But if you you see yourself as a conduit for money, someone for whom money has no value, beyond kingdom purpose. And you will give, and when you give, you will hurt. Hey, he will pay you. 
I promise you. I'm paying. But you give, you stretch, you give, you stretch, you give, you stretch, you give, you stretch. He starts to give you to give. What he's giving you is stretching because you are stretching. That's the difference I taught you between Macarius and Eulogio. The blessing, Eulogio, and blessings or benefits, Macarius. We all have Eulogio at the same measure. We don't all have Macarius at the same measure. We all have salvation. Some people will do better than others. Because some people will deploy kingdom principles more effectively than others. Some people will discipline themselves more than others. Some people will stretch themselves more than others. They will. Some people will apply themselves more than others. Some people will latch on to a particular dimension more than others. Because grace abounds to those that give. Again, I've clarified that this is not saving grace. Is it clear enough now? Grace abounds to those that make a habit of giving. Not just the desire. Go do it. You buy your bottle of Coke faithfully. You buy your, uh, what do you call that? Oreos. Cheerios. Gala. Every day, your airtime, your data, your hair. But you, you are believing God to give. God is the one believing you. I'm not joking, sir. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. God is the one believing you that you can give. Because nobody has nothing. Nobody has nothing. But go and give. That's how you know you're walking in grace. Just give. What can I do? What can I take responsibility for? And find great joy doing Great joy. Nobody. You know what? Let me take the keg. I'll bring 10 liters of diesel when I'm coming. Imagine if three, four, five people thought like that and just come with 10 liters. Don't bring the money. Bring the diesel. I've told you over and over in this house. Money is required to the measure that needs are necessary. When needs are met, we don't need money. We only need money when necessary to meet a need. But if everybody thought according to grace, you know what, I had a grant, I'm not sure what he could do, so I brought it for the work. I had 500, I wasn't sure what he could do. So, because here's what it is for me. I said, if a believer will not give until you put an offering basket in their front, they're not a giver. Because they've asked me over and over, how about people that want to give and there's no basket, there's no, I said, where do you see in the New Testament where they were gathering service and there was baskets in front? Now make you match out. You know that one? Because you're like, hey, when it's time for me to match out now, I don't have money with him. Arrange me, find me off, find me off. We know the tricks. So you see, Usher will just be there like that. <laughs> if that's the state of the church, then we don't need your money. 
And by God is able to do the work. Yes, even by one person. God is able. And we will prove it. That he's able. If you need the basket, you need to throw it in your front. So if you drop 100 naira. And then you feel like you're a star. Because you put 200 naira in a service. Three services, 300 naira. That's how much the word of God that comes to you is worth. And then at the end of the month, you pay your tithe. 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 if you're earning 100 Gs and you're honest about your salary. But if you will not give because within is now offering time. Bible says give. We'll not take it to Luke 6. Oh. Press down. Check it together. No, you know, but scripture that has nothing to do with money. Bible says, Malachi, how have you robbed me? You've robbed me your tithes and offering. Try me down there for and see. But it's only until you come in contact with and settle in the love of Jesus and the grace of God that enables you in Christ to give. That's when that thing dies. And that's the church that we're trusting the Lord to raise. People that will give. People that will think. People that will be led in their spirit. And not do it as a one-off because you heard Pav preach. But because it has activated like what Paul was using the Macedonians to do to Corinth. Has activated a challenge in your heart to make it a habit to give. Most times in churches like this, the people that struggle to give are those that are closest to the work. Again, I know these things. There's a point you get to where you settle and you feel like the things you are doing should make up for the substance you are not giving. You're not a giver. Because in the same vein, me too, can abandon you to your devices and concentrate on just teaching you Bible. Two can play that game. I can also conclude and I'll be justified to ignore everything else about you because all I want to know is nothing more than Christ and him crucified. But in Christ and him crucified are these particulars of the gospel being made revealed. So most times people that are closest to the work struggle to give because one, they familiarize themselves with the work and the vessel and two, they substitute service for substance. You actually go as far as even seeing the people that are giving substance as being hypocritical, as doing eye service. That's a very dangerous part of familiarity. People that are close to you, why are you doing this now? Why are you carrying this thing so personal? It is personal. But those of you who are close to the work and close to the vessels actually should be the ones who feel the weight of the work more than everybody else and be able to lock in and lock in. And looking. And I know some of you can look and go, ha, ah, no, me, I can't do that. Oh, hey, that's a lot of money. You will never get to the point where any money is convenient for you to give if you don't infuse the grace of God to, towards giving in your life. We didn't start off like this. Imagine that that boy that gave his five loaves of bread and two fish. Imagine him watching 20,000 people eating. You can, you can only imagine his sense of fulfillment. You, there's no way you can argue that that boy did not grow up into a dispenser of resources. If once he saw what God did 
with five loaves and two fish, fed 5,000 men besides women and children in every crusade. Women and children are always more than men. So if he fed 5,000 men besides women and children, we're looking at at least 15 to 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish and 12 baskets full left over. That boy's life could not have ever been the same again. I'm sure the next time he will go home, he tells my mom, pack my lunchbox. Where next is Jesus preaching? Don't give me pocket money. Don't give me play money. Just pack my lunchbox. Give me a bit more bread. Give me a bit more fish. And if Jesus ain't going there, he's going to be there to preach, I'm going to go there myself. And I'm going to share this. That's what giving does. It's how you sleep when you're a giver. There's a level of fulfillment you walk into. There's a peace. There's a security that comes. There's an ease of access that comes to a giver. New Testament. Are you hearing me? Yeah. His divine power has given us all things. You activate and release that in your life to the measure that you dispense kingdom resources for kingdom relevance. We will not all prosper at the same level. No, I mean, I'm convinced of that. We will not all. Some of us will handle money for the kingdom because we have passed that class over and over and over and over and over and over. So what is coming is nothing compared to what has been. Then you will understand that there is earthly value in giving. That's what, what, what do you think Paul was saying that you shall reap in due season if you faint not? Be not weary in well doing. In well doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Don't be weary in giving. Don't. Get into the grace of giving. Especially after all you have come into knowledge of in this house. You heard what he said of the Corinthian church. You excel in preaching. You excel in knowledge. You excel in showing love. You excel in manifestations of the supernatural. Excel in this also. Make a habit of giving. Don't celebrate it like it's a special thing. Commonize it. Whenever you are led, and, and, and for you, the word of God is all the leading you need as a son of God to give. You don't need a special voice. My son, my son, take down that 5,000 that you have. Mm -mm. You don't need ceremony to give. Does that make sense? Don't, just commonize it. Every week, this is what the Lord is laying in my heart to give. Every week, I'm going to stretch and do this. Every month, I'm going to stretch and do that. Because I know that it takes this to make this work. And so I step up to it. You look at your brother and your brother says, oh me, I'm very hungry. But you feel like they've not told you. Until you get to the point where you look at your brother and say, do you need transport? It's, it's not like you have. That's where we are. Do you need transport? You look like you need transport. Do you need my money? This person, I'll give you. I'm not afraid of an empty wallet. Because for me, I, me, I don't save. For me personally, if you can't meet my need, it's a seed. It's not, it's not a rule. But for me, if it cannot meet my need, it is a seed. I don't keep 10 grand waiting for it to become 100. Send it out. Let's do something. Let's fix somebody's school fees. I have a 100,000 naira need, not this 10 grand. This 10 grand is a distraction. Do you understand? This 10 grand makes me now be worried about 90. But there's somebody for whom their problem, the yay and amen of their problem is 10 Gs. <laughs> Go up. All right, Lord, we, need, we have a 100,000 naira problem. 
Because you can't get there by hoarding. What of what use is having when somebody that is in your jurisdiction is in lack? I, how can you be proud of that? How? How can you be proud of saving something, hiding something when there's a need? Let's grow up and let's give. Let's show the church that there can be a breed without greed. Amen. Father, we trust you to, by your Holy Spirit, unpack this in the hearts of your people. Just break every heart of stone, Lord. Every dissension, every resistance, every hurt, every function of what the past has done to us, every function of what society has shaped our mindsets to be, every economic paradigm, everything that stands contrary to what your will is concerning your grace as regards giving. We receive, Lord, the fullness of that grace in its full activations, in its full expressions. We put the enemy to shame by the integrity of the church. We put the enemy to shame by the financial integrity of the church. We prove that there is a breed without greed. There is a breed that can, without compromise, carry out what the Great Commission is. There is a breed that, without compromise, will have its needs met and the needs of the church and, and, and all the attendant needs and abound therein and prosper therein without a dent to its integrity. We thank you, Father, we give you praise because better things are spoken concerning us. We thank you that our intention meets action moving forward. Thank you that this is not one of them teachings again that we will walk away from after a few days of euphoria, but that it becomes our consistent reality. You have enabled us to model it in this house. Enable that that becomes a reality. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. This concludes Amen. this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.